Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Yes, Lost in Science time again here on your community radio network. My name is Chris and this week I have another one of the famous Lost in Science field expeditions. You've gone batty, Chris. I've gone, I've gone quite batty. Yeah, so it is about bats. Um, Melbourne is home to a couple of colonies of flying foxes, as are many other places around Australia, clearly. Um, the, in particular, there's one in Yarrabend Park, and this was famous because this is where the flying foxes were relocated to back in about 2003 from the Royal Botanic Gardens because they were unwelcome there. Well, they were making a bit of a mess. They were making a bit of a mess. People didn't like them there, but they were successfully relocated. And, yeah, now they seem to be doing quite well in Yarrabend Park, but the, um, they are, there is ongoing monitoring of the, the population there, such as it is. And I went along to one of their, their monthly fly-out counts, and this is where a bunch of volunteers, citizen scientists, turn up and count the bats as they leave their roosts. And the idea is then you, um, you get an idea of how many there are in the colony. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so stay tuned for that one. We've got um, some exciting bat counting, bat screeching, and talking to uh, Stephen Brend, who is one of the uh, people responsible for the, the fly-out count. Great. Mm. Stu, uh, what, have you do- what are you doing? Well, uh, speaking of monitoring populations, I have been reading a lot of headlines recently warning us of a wake-up call and that insects around the world are dying out and there's going to be a mass extinction of insects by the end of the century and all these kind of things. And so I was, I'm, I'm always a bit sort of uh, wary of those kind of dramatic headlines because there's usually a lot more. You're the voice of reason, are you? Uh, well, I don't know if I'm the voice of reason. I'm just a cynical old scientist, I think. Yeah. Well, I remember this is something that I think that we, we talked about this on Lost in Science a couple of years ago. I think it was back in 2017 first talked about some of the early studies showing there was a decline in insect populations and there was unknown whether it was a real thing or not or what effect it was going to have. Well, this is part of the problem is because we don't really have good figures, good hard figures on how many insects there are. So knowing that there's now less or there's now more in a particular location is really difficult, but um, that's what I'm going to be delving into. Um, I'll fly around in that space for a little while later in the show. Brilliant. Well, on with the show. Something we often come back to on Lost in Science is the reporting of science in mainstream media, of which I don't really count us as a part. We talk about pretty sciencey things. I like to think of us as sort of scientists. Yeah, yeah. Um, and look, it's often based less on an understanding of science journals and more on the deadlines of more widely read publications. Um, the speed of the 24-hour news cycle seems to cause an increase in skim reading 
both by readers and by writers of mainstream media, and a snappy headline wins over more analytical takes on science news, shall we say. Um, And the latest in this line of reporting is the announcement in multiple news agencies recently of the insect apocalypse, Um, the idea that, you know, insects are dying out all of a sudden. Um, This has been echoing around in big-name news sources for some months now, Um, and, you know, even over a couple of years, there's been a couple of sort of resurgences of it. So pieces in the Washington Post lately, National Geographic, New York Times, Scientific American, and even the ABC News in Australia have reported a massive supposed decline in insect numbers and suggested insects might become extinct in the next 80 years. Like all insects? Well, a large proportion of insects. I mean, because I remember that cockroaches were supposed to survive even a nuclear war. So are well, the cockroaches this, going to come extinct? This is the thing. Um, it's, it's not, it doesn't seem to be that that's the case. It doesn't seem there's a drastic decline in insect numbers. So it probably does sell papers and generate clicks to have these kind of dramatic headlines. It doesn't represent the majority of the studies in entomology that investigate insects in the world today. So firstly... To be entirely sure insect numbers are declining, we would need to know how many there have been in the past. And we really don't have good numbers on that. Um, it's, it's very difficult to know what insect numbers were in the past because people didn't really have the ability to count them. And we still have difficulty mm. in counting numbers of insects um, on, a, on a global scale. And this is the issue, this is one of the issues with this kind of prediction. Um, so studies in abundance of insects are slowed by the sheer number of insect species in the world. So anytime someone goes out to count insects, they find new undescribed species of insects. So they go back to their lab and describe the new species of insects and they get sort of sidetracked from figuring out how many of any particular one there is because they keep finding all these new ones. Um, So of all the animals on Earth, it's not surprising because insects are the most abundant. There are at any given time around 10 quintillion insects on Earth, which is a 10 with 18 zeros after it, if you want to write that down at any point, not using scientific notation, obviously. But that's a really big number of insects. Um, And obviously, they're all at different stages of their life cycle. You've got eggs and larvae and adults and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so they weigh, all of the insects on Earth weigh, all, weigh more than all of the other animals put together. Um, they outweigh, estimated outweigh humans by a factor of 300 to 1. So for every one person on Earth, there is 300 times that weight of insects in the world at any given time. That's pretty cool. That is, a, yeah, and it's a big number. <laughs> but these are estimates, obviously. Um, There's a number of species, so we've described nearly a million species of insects. There are at least that many, again, that haven't been named, and possibly as many as 30 times that number that haven't been named. So, as I said, pretty much every time anyone goes out to count insects, they find new insects and go, oh, we didn't count this one before. Um, So, for example, there are more species of ladybird than there are species of mammal. So that's just one tiny little group of insects, and there's more species of that little group than there are of all the mammals on Earth. Um, that basically means that they're, they're so adaptable. They're highly adaptable. They find many more ecological niches they can occupy and adapt to. So they're literally everywhere on Earth where, there's, you know, where life exists. Some surveys have put insect numbers at 
one to one thousand to four thousand per square meter. If you look at a piece of vegetation or something like that, and sometimes much higher, so it gets up to sort of five, six, seven thousand insects per square meter, and that's not including all of the non-insect arthropods in that square meter, which is also up in the thousands as well. So we're talking, we're surrounded by insects all of the time. So with the diversity and abundance of insects being so high, where did this story come from? And it mostly seems to be from a study which was published online in Biological Conservation in January 2019. It's going to come out in the physical edition in April. This is how far ahead these things get uh, pushed through. Um, and this, uh, this one journal article came with a very handy highlight section of dot points in front of the abstract of the paper. So the abstract of a scientific journal is pretty much the bit that tells you what, what the finding of the paper is. Um, this one came with dot points, which is really exciting, and it's really interesting to see how many of those dot points have been repeated as headlines, including uh, the one that says 40% of the world's insect species will be extinct by the end of the 21st century. Um, it goes on to outline various things they, they claim uh, will drive that extinction, but I, th- I really do think that dot point highlight section at the start of the paper means that people are able to just read that and go, I can write a story based on that. Um, Ultimately, it's not a very well-designed study. Um, It claims to be a meta-analysis. The authors say it's a meta-analysis. There's only two people working on this paper. Um, It's a review of a very limited range of published studies collected by, by way of the authors searching in a database for insect and decline so they searched papers that mention insect decline and then wrote what they are claiming is a meta-analysis of insect decline. Right, okay. It seems to be a really quick way to exclude a whole bunch of papers that might be telling a They're different story. That are not measuring a decline. Yeah, exactly. So it removes papers which showed insect increases, for example, and ignores papers that don't refer to insects as a group. So if someone writes a paper of a specific a particular species of insect and the population's increasing, they that wouldn't have showed up in their, with their search terms. Um, they also searched one database, and there's multiple scientific journal databases which you can search. So a very limited number of papers that they've called on or drawn on for their, for their so-called meta-analysis. Um, and other people have pointed out that um, if you look at a broader picture of insect population studies – it's possible to see that insect numbers vary massively from year to year, um, which is another thing that the authors didn't take into account. So they've sort of gone, oh, well, insects declined at this location um, compared to another time that they measured it, and they didn't really take into account the time of year it was measured, which has a huge influence on insect numbers, um, or that seasonal variation occurs from year to year and even from decade to decade. So they didn't really take any of that into account in their analysis at all. Um, by most estimates, though, it's not, to say, um, it's not to say that insect numbers might not be declining. It's just that this paper is exaggerating or misrepresenting the, the numbers. Insect numbers are obviously being affected by human activity, through, mainly through habitat clearing, industrialization, pollution, and also directly through insecticide applications. They're obviously going to have direct impact on insect populations. But what other researchers have found is that these, the populations drop regionally as a result of these, these influences on insect population, but 
they are usually refreshed by immigration of insects from other areas that aren't affected by these, uh, you know, um, negative influences. So basically, in the case of insects, nature abhors a vacuum. So if there's a food source, the insects will come from somewhere to eat that food source, and that's pretty much why they're so successful as as organisms. Um, what that means for numbers and what species will be affected in the long term by human activity is obviously less clear. And really what we need is more research into insect populations rather than analysing the research we have, but do more research and figure out what specific populations are being affected by what specific activities. And we might get a better picture of what's actually going on rather than just sort of um, looking at historical research, which was not designed to find the answers to these questions. Um, It does seem unlikely at this point that insects are in any real danger of global extinction based on the local fluctuations of these uh, regional populations covered in the study. Science, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words, to seek out new science and new explanations, to boldly go where no radio has gone before. listening to Lost in Science, my name is Chris. Now, Flying foxes are an important species in ecosystems around Australia, responsible for pollinating many of our native plants. And yet, humans have a love-hate relationship with these megabats, particularly in urban areas. We often resent them for their noise and we worry about our fruit trees. So these bats are frequently under threat, which is why it's important for them to have secure places to establish their colonies. Recently, I went along on a Wednesday night to one such colony at Yarraven Park in Melbourne to take part in the monthly fly-out count. I spoke to Park Victoria Project Officer Stephen Brent, who was leading the count. My name is Stephen Brent. I work for Parks Victoria, and I'm responsible for the flying fox colony in Yarraven Park. So what we're doing here tonight, we're counting the flying foxes as they leave the colony for the evening. Correct, yep. So they're nocturnal animals. Every night... They fly out and they go all over the city in search of food. What's the purpose of this count? Citizen science. Um, so it's it's to we want to know population trends. That's the most important thing, um, and we we would like to know population size. So all flying fox colonies throughout Australia are monitored every quarter. Um, uh, we try and do we do it every month, but our um, our figures are fed into the national database so that the scientists can work out whether the population is increasing, decreasing, or stable. With that mission, a couple of dozen volunteers and I gathered in the car park at the Arabend Golf Course just before sunset. Um, quick show of hands of people who haven't been here before. Right. Are you- 
yeah. February is perhaps the best month to, to count them because you, you, there's never going to be more than to, in for this season. There'll never be more than tonight because all the babies are now independent from mum. They've done their test flights. They'll all be flying out. So the skies are going to be filled with bats. So you've come along at a good time. We were then handed clicker counters and Stephen taught us how to count. The, um, you're just literally up in the sky. You've got a counter and it's every 10. And I never count faster. You've got to go, go. so um, just count as fast as you can, um, and as you do ten, it's uh, it, you know, we will then average out. And that's the best part about having a large group is we can take the average of, of what you've all got because you're all going to be slightly, slightly different. Clickers in hand, we were sent off to our counting locations. So I'm going this way. Yeah, you're going that way. All good. And Jones and Charge will tell you exactly where to go. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, we are all together. Now we just arrived yesterday um, from, from Switzerland. Okay. And um, I'm a little bit in the jet lag now, I would love to see. <laughs> well, it's perfect for staying up looking at that. I think you need to see to see the colony at least once. It's uh, incredible. Oh, you can hear them from oh, here. You can start with them, but you're going to see the colony like, just over there. It's like a crepe, crepes, crepes on a tree, like yeah. you're going to do. They do not bite? No. They, they sure. don't eat, they eat only fruits. <laughs> it's black, you see? Yes. <laughs> so what do we do? We're just basically counting all the bats to go over, all are we? All the bats you can see. Yes, okay. Okay. as far as you can see. So we can start counting now. You're listening to Lost in Science on the Community Radio Network, and this week we're at Yarraven Park in Melbourne for the monthly fly-out count for the grey-headed flying fox, Teropus polycephalus. We stood there on the golf course fairway, counting them for nearly half an hour. Eventually, the flow of bats slowed. Now this is the point where I learned that, despite my frantic clicking, I possibly hadn't been going fast enough. A lot. How much do you Well, the number one there is like 565, I think. What have you got? I've got 13,400. Oh, I thought but it was a one at the front. Yeah. Is that, is that a one is that or a, one? Well, a zero? That's a zero, isn't it? At the yeah. front there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's only 5,650. Yeah. yeah, but like it's your first night. Okay, okay. Yeah, there were a lot of bats. It's time for the big reveal. <laughs> <laughs> on, on our side, we got um, 
I, I, this is just really rough. 48,360. Um, and then we're waiting for Ed to call in, who looks, the, uh, the, the, he's the missing, the missing. Uh, I, 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 I hope you enjoyed it. Um, uh, 3,460. So um, we, we got just at 51,000. With the results in, I got a chance to talk to Stephen again to find out what it all means. Very, 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 yeah. Yeah, so um, how big is the colony in Yarraband Park, do we know? Well, we've just been trying to count that. Um, and I have to say, all figures are, when I tell you that there's 50,000, it means there's more than 45,000 and probably less than 60,000 because it's, it's always take, takes, takes uh, it's, um, we, there's so many we can't get an exact number, but we're just over 50,000. Now, how long has this colony been here? This colony's been here since 2003. That was when it was moved from the Botanic Gardens. Right. Um, but that was a uh, la- big project, I understand. To oh, massive. Them massive, there. massive, yeah. yeah. And, and groundbreaking and hugely successful and absolutely fantastic. And it was well-planned, well-resourced, well-thought-through. It went... And, and it was amazing. And, there was, and it was sensitive to animal welfare. It was sensitive to community needs. It hadn't been undertaken. They moved... 30,000 animals across the city with no recorded loss of life. Absolutely incredible. And do you know the worst part? What? They couldn't talk about it. Just because the bats were so unpopular and the public hysteria about bats had been such a fury. The state government and, and Melbourne City Council, they just didn't even want to acknowledge that they were putting any effort into saving these animals. And so we like to say, 15 years on, Melbourne, congratulations, you did an amazing thing. And it had, as Chris, you've just seen tonight, an amazingly happy ending. Yeah, so the population has grown since then? Well, you, you can't say that. That's the tricky thing, because there's only a national population. Right. So our bats will go up to Queensland, and they'll come back from Queensland, and some may go around to Adelaide, and almost a few will pop over to Bendigo to see what's going on. It's this nat- just a national dynamic population. So we always think it's, it's like a, a t- the tide at sea. When we've got lots in Victoria, there's not many in Queensland, and when it gets back. So when you can say our population has grown colony numbers have fluctuated but the trend has been upwards but the national population is stable as best but yeah it's one of the quirky things about this there that that there's only one population they're not yarabens that, that's an excellent that's an yeah. excellent point yeah. but there are some obviously a few threats to the to the flying foxes I yes mean. so the 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 national threats yeah it, it's just habitat destruction okay there's trees are being cleared and they're being cleared for real estate development agricultural land um uh and on top of which and maybe contributing to that if you've got climate change which brings these unseasonable Mm -hmm. um um, heat events if we have massive heat events which we touching wood we haven't had um uh, before christmas when the young are still dependent then we could be losing a whole year's cohort uh, as they go on. You've got to remember the, the Black Saturday events, like, like um, Australia, uh, Victoria had in 2009. I mean, these are southeastern Australia, even though it was catastrophic for fire in, in um, Victoria. The heat was buckling in the ACT um, uh, along the coast and in Sydney. So the bats were having a hard time just as it was. So um, my point being, not downplaying the, the impact of the fires in any way, but those massive fire events will always be associated with a heat wave. And those heat waves will 
cover many, many colonies, and so the impact will be widespread. Right. And the, the, the grey headed flying foxes, which we were counting tonight, tend to, Brit, to give birth in the southern states over summer. Okay. Uh, the other difficulty with the conservation of the flying fox, so you need the roosting space, they need a peaceful place where they can rest, where they're, 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 they're daytime home which is what we provide so it's in in a parkland they won't be disturbed here here during the day they can recover from the night's exertions then they fly out at night and you need to say feeding sites the, so that's next thing one of the reasons why we think they're in cities is because more city councils and more residents have made efforts to green up cities we have more um uh, shire parks and that's my that we have more shire parks um uh, roadside tree plantings all of which are flowering gums all of which they want to to the bats would like to to feed on as well as obviously backyard fruit trees the problem is with backyard fruit trees people will put netting over to protect them the camera trap studies that re, uh, that have documented people have put on their fruit trees the number one culprit is probably the black rat the number two culprit is probably a possum but the flying foxes really get the blame, and they're the ones that will suffer most from the fruit tree netting. And the silly part is, they really, it's just, there is safe netting. It just needs a finer mesh. If you can poke your finger through the hole in your fruit tree net, it's going to catch a flying fox. Don't be responsible for a flying fox's death, and don't be responsible for the little baby flying fox that it's left in the tree as it's flown out. Just get safe fruit tree netting. It lasts over many seasons. Great. And are you optimistic for the flying foxes? Yeah, I am. I am. Uh, I'm, I'm optimistic in Melbourne because uh, the threat in Melbourne isn't habitat destruction. We've, we've got that. It's public perception. And actually, lots of people like flying foxes, which is great. And the people who don't like them, we're just trying to nudge into accepting them because they are kind of wonderful. Look, anything that hangs upside down, it, it's just got to score points for quirky. That was Stephen Brend, grey-headed flying fox project officer at Parks Victoria. If you're in Melbourne and you'd like to help out with the flyout count held at the end of every month, you can find out more at the website megabatcount.wordpress.com. And that is it for another episode of Lost in Science, an episode where we have looked at population numbers for both insects and flying foxes, and boy, what population numbers we found. Now, Lost in Science, it is, of course, recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, and it airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Now, we always love people to get in touch with us, so if you feel so inclined, or maybe you have some questions you want to ask us, then drop us a line. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com, or you can like our page on Facebook and send us a message that way if you want. We are Lost in Science on 3CR, or you can find us on Twitter and I believe you can follow us and DM us or you can attempt to at least. I don't even know what that means. Um, We are Lost in Science 1. Um, Or you can find our podcast on your friendly local podcast service. Now you might not be able to message us there but what you can do is give us a good rating and a review and that's the kind of thing that will basically, it makes us look good and helps uh, raise us up in the search rankings and then other people can find us and share the science love. Or you can just find us on 3CR website where it's 3cr.org.au or you can just listen to us on on this radio station same time next week when once again Claire, Stu and Chris will get Lost in Science!
Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.